What's up, everybody? This is Zach from EM Weekly. John is currently helping out at a military exercise in Nashville, and so he asked me to step in and give you this little uh, introduction, which is actually our presentation from uh, L3 Harris's uh, webinar last week called A New Kind of Hurricane Responder. Uh, this is a very exciting presentation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we really appreciate L3 Harris for asking us to present with them. And uh, without further ado, a new kind of hurricane responder. Welcome everybody to the L3 Harris webinar, a new kind of hurricane responder. We're gonna take an in-depth look at the challenges and opportunities for emergency responders. I am your host, Todd Perdue, Vice President of Product Experience here at L3 Harris. And before I introduce my distinguished guests here, uh, as Tia mentioned, if you have questions along this journey, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of information. Just uh, stick those questions into the, the, the tool there, and we have some time dedicated at the end of the session, and we're going to hit as many of those questions as we can. And with that, I would like to introduce my distinguished guests here. So, John, Zach, uh, hang on a second, and I'll uh, get into your intro and your bios here. So I'm going to start with John. John Scardina is the host of the Disaster Tough podcast, a founder of the Readiness Lab, which is a blend of education and marketing for emergency services. The Readiness Lab supports the largest emergency service podcast network and offers next level emergency management certification. It's a high intensity training program for professional responders. John's a former member of the National Strike Team and a federal emergency response official. He's an emergency management subject matter expert an adjunct professor with St. Louis University and CEO of Doberman Emergency Management. All of that in addition to his work at the Readiness Lab. John, that's a mouthful, man. Thank, thank you for joining us. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit your partner in crime here too, Zach Bortz. Uh, Zach is the host of EM Weekly Podcast and Chief of Strategy at the Readiness Lab and Doberman Emergency Management. Zach is a current member of the Vermont Urban Search and Rescue Team. He's also a member of the Vermont Air National Guard and a subject matter expert in emergency management. Zach's led the University of Vermont's emergency management team for six years, and he's a self-proclaimed uh, radio geek, technology geek. Zach, welcome to the show. Thank you. You've, you've got my number. Yes. Huge geek. Love your stuff. Can't wait to talk about it. Oh, yes. Technology it is. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, thank you guys for being here. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. Uh, wanted to, to start off by kicking into your, your past and really understanding where your inspiration for emergency management has come from. So with, uh, with that, um, what are your earliest moments in your career with our, uh, emergency management? Where does your passion or your energy, where did that all originate from? Yeah, I can probably kick that off. And uh, Todd, I'm just so grateful. I'm, I'm sure Zach will say something similar, but we're really grateful to be on the L3 Harris uh, webinar and to be able to talk about this, especially because Zach and I are so incredibly passionate about life-saving, life-sustaining operations, and especially how that emergency management perspective can su support and enhance those operations. And so with that being said, yeah, I've been, uh, thank you for the very long bio for myself. I appreciate that. Zach and I both have a laundry list of experiences. While different, I think he and I are both uh, highly, highly passionate about this because we've had those catalyst moments. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I was always involved, in, you know, whether through adolescence beyond in volunteer opportunities, whether it's Red Cross and beyond. Um, but for me, when I came home after my mission, I was an LDS missionary 
I got more and more involved in responses and more and more involved with NGOs and supporting NGOs. And then this tsunami happened in Japan. And I personally knew people who were impacted by that. And um, through that experience and learning the international humanitarian aid perspective of disaster response, um, I found this, this desire that it, it wasn't a, a small turnover. It wasn't like, oh, this is interesting. It was like, oh, I'm all in. I'm all in forever. And ever since then, whether it's through multiple degrees or through several catastrophic responses, and I think we're going to be talking about that later, uh, these moments of how do I save and sustain life faster? And how does my field do that? And finding all the different ways to make that happen um, has uh, been complex. And innovation is 100% where we need to go in order to make that happen. So for me, it was really the tsunami in Japan that uh, made it a full-time gig for me. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapsed and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Space is limited to 40. Go to thereadinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. Uh, mine was, I was an undeclared major at the University of Vermont. I walked into a weather and climate class. I told my professor uh, uh, that I was a firefighter and I loved disasters. I loved bad weather. And she was like, oh, you should look into emergency management. And I was like, what is that? And then she's like, well, FEMA. And I was like, oh yeah, FEMA. And then she connected me with uh, the campus emergency manager at the time. I did an internship with them, did an internship with the National Weather Service where I got to build a bunch of stuff out. And I had a res heavy response background. So I got to move from like being at the end user perspective of the emergency management uh, you know, process to suddenly like understanding how it all worked. And I was like, this is amazing. I love the coordination. I love getting to work with like the coolest people on the planet. And you're just doing all of this stuff. No day's the same, uh, no disaster's the same. It's just, it was so exciting. So I was hooked as soon as I found out about it. Uh, that's awesome. It so sounds like uh, emergency management found you just as much as you found emergency management. And John, one thing that stuck out on your resume was uh, your time with the National Strike Team. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so the National Strike Team, it came out of the Post-Katrina Reform Act. And basically, Pekemra said, hey, uh, the way that we did Katrina was not very effective. Speaking of innovation, uh, one of the few times where I was very happy about innovation in politics. But they said, hey, we need to have a, a strike team that will make sure from a national perspective that we can go in and support when all local resources are overwhelmed. And so now that process happens where the governor of a state will submit to POTUS, submit to the president through FEMA, and they say, hey, we need a national strike team to come in and support operations. And so they support the state. So the national strike team um, through the camera, I like to use that terminology because that's the official terminology. 
However, if you look at the FEMA perspective, um, they had regional teams and they said, hey, we have a smaller version of this. Let's make a larger version of this. So the national, the, the regional teams were called national or sorry, incident management response teams for each of the 10 regions. They said, hey, we're going to take that framework and we're going to make a national version of that or the national incident management assistance team. And so my job for several years, anytime a governor reached out to POTUS and said, we want somebody here, they would send us out. So typically it was uh, the largest scale incidents you could imagine for the for the country. I've been to several wildfires. We went to tornadoes. The team has been to oil spills, mudslides, hurricanes, um, you know, largest hurricane in U.S. history, uh, Hurricane Harvey. I was there with the strike team supporting the state of Texas. Uh, but really, the my first uh, disaster with the strike team was Hurricane Matthew in Florida. And okay. it was, uh, you know, in, in terms of a perspective, really funny because, you know, we prepped for a type one national strike team goes in for type one incidents, which is the largest incident. But right at the last second, the hurricane moved and skirted up the coast of Florida, which is still devastating for the coastline, but not all of Florida. And so very quickly, I got to see the entire spectrum of what a strike team would do and then really what a regional team would do and, and looking at that. And so impressed with all the federal partners and everybody else that goes into a state like Florida to support their operations. That's awesome. And and Zach, I know that uh, you're from Vermont and they're recovering from just disastrous floods that that's hit the region there. What has your personal involvement been? Yeah, so I was actually out of state when it when it occurred. And so I was trying to help out remotely where I could. Uh, I'm the vice president of our uh, emergency management association. So trying to reach out to uh, our constituents and, and help them through this. Um, this is the second major flooding situation we've had, Tropical Storm Irene, which uh, you know hit almost a little over 10 years ago, uh, and then um, which you know, I was a responder to that, uh, to see it all happen again. I think we were all freaked out, of course. We all went through this uh, experience previously, and just remember, you know, that's still fresh in our minds. Uh, but fortunately, a lot of really good lessons learned uh, were implemented uh, this time around. Uh, a lot of the mitigation that the state and, and federal government provided the state of Vermont, you could see it in action for this. And um, certainly devastating to the communities. We are kind of entering the recovery mode now. Um, and uh, I believe actually in the situation uh, report, uh, I think officially the we're going into recovery within the next day or so. It, it may have actually happened in the last operational period. but. Um, yeah, it's it was uh, it's tough to see, but uh, like John was just talking about, you know, when all of those resources come to bear to help out your community, you like realize like I'm glad to be a part of this community, and I'm glad that there's so many folks out there that are willing to uh, step up and you know leave their home states and and leave their families to come help when the when the time comes. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, action is key, and there's. There's so much to learn in, in any of these events. And unfortunately, you never really know when a disaster is going to strike. Yeah. Uh, but what we do know is certainly in the state of Florida and our relationships there, 96% of the hurricanes hit Florida between August and September. And I looked at the calendar today in August August 1st, and we're, we're entering that season now. Mm -hmm. We've had this partnership with the state for over uh, over 20 years, and, and a lot's changed in that time frame. 
the, the technologies come uh, such, such a long way. And so we're, we're actually in the middle of a technology refresh for the, for the state of Florida. And un unfortunately, right, Florida, as, as you mentioned with Matthew and so many other storms, uh, constantly every year gets hit with, uh, with several storms, some larger than others, but they're always dealing with a, with a major event. And I, I wanted to use these recent examples and our experience with Florida to really try to frame the, the problem that we're talking about here and I'll, I'll kind of put it in, in my context and I'll maybe ask you guys to, to react to it. In the way that I think of the, the core problem to discuss is going from everything working to, to absolutely nothing is working and, and, and trying to deal with those situations from, from get, once again, going from something that's sort of normal and in everyday life to something that's potentially life-threatening. How mm. uh, is that how you guys think about the problem? And uh, John, maybe I can start with you. Uh, how, how do you view emergency management in that regard? Yeah, and so funny enough, if you look at emergency management, there's probably a hundred definitions of emergency management. Uh, what I like to do is give the hundred and first definition. And by giving the hundred and first, I also give a definition for emergency services. And so if you're thinking about it from that context of your question, emergency services is the protection of life, property, and continuity of operations. If I put somebody in a shelter from a hurricane, I'm protecting them against the hurricane, right? So using the word protection in like the literal sense. Uh, emergency management is the coordination or really the strategic coordination of emergency services. And so what I see as, as my role as an emergency manager is to help people stop operating in a silo. There's all these people. So if we're talking about Hurricane Harvey, you had 26,000 people deployed across numerous federal agencies, state agencies, NGOs, individuals, you know, uh, you have millions of people impacted by this hurricane in Texas. And, you know, how do you, how do you manage that? How do you get people from 700,000 700, homes impacted, plus all those people, so you can imagine the number of people now across a state that you know, is if the flooding happened from Maine to DC, it'd be like all that, wa all that water, all those states gone, or from, if you're looking on the West coast is basically San Francisco to San Diego gone. That, that large of a, a scope, how do you deal with that? And so whether it's the strike team or you're on a more local level for an emergency manager, your job really is to coordinate all those different pieces. And we want to help enhance that as much as humanly possible. The problem is in the past, that emergency management perspective, although it's there, the mechanisms to help make that happen, uh, you know, were okay 30 years ago, now terrible. We need to <laughs> we need to upgrade big time how we communicate of that, how we push that out there. And so everything I'm doing as an emergency manager is trying to figure out coordination, everything I'm trying to do at the readiness lab and working with amazing groups like L3 Harris is to push that innovation train. John, if I can follow, follow up on that, you said it, it was okay and now terrible. Is, is that because the situations have become more complex or has, has it been something uh, with the process that uh, really just hasn't kept up with the times? Yeah, great question. So historically speaking, um, there was a train derailment that happened in Tennessee in the 70s. Uh, that ended up killing a lot of responders. Waverly, right? Yeah, there you go. Hey, somebody listen to the podcast, right? <laughs> so the Waverly train disaster, um, 
so the the president at the time with the governor's association said hey we got to figure out how to make this not happen again it's a hazmat issue and so that's when you talk about a year later you created fema from that and so they knew that they there was just going to be this coordination of response that's the inception of fema that was the purpose of fema you fast forward to hurricane andrew and not a lot of changes uh now we're doing like hurricanes and what do we do and is it a planning thing? Do I write a brick on a shelf that no one's going to read? Like, is it a retirement job? No one really knew what was going to happen. 9-11, now Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security stood up, I think in 2004, it could be wrong. But they're not like, okay, now there's these, all these other components. There's new agencies involved. This is becoming a bigger thing. Katrina happens and Katrina was a failure. It was, it was a massive failure. And everybody knew that across the board. Uh, from non-responders to responders and say, how do we fix this? So now it's like, now we're making these shifts. Well, you fast forward to COVID and still not a lot of changes, but we, we know something has to change. And now every organization on the planet, every school, every corporation, they all say, oh, hey, now we need to have standards to deal with public crisis for our or organization or the public. And so emergency management while young, those mechanisms of how it originally started all the way through now, we keep knowing that we have to shift. There's these shifts happening, but we haven't used the technologies available to us to help with those shifts. So it's become more complex. Yes, I actually think it's more of a self-awareness. We actually are starting to learn really what the true scope is. And now we have to do something about that scope. Oh, yeah, I would I would argue too that the 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 disasters are getting more complex too. We're we're in a basically poly crisis, uh, you know, continuous crisis, whatever you want to call it. We're we're not dealing with single disasters anymore. You know, every disaster has a massive technology component. Uh, you look at FEMA's lifelines. You know, all of those are critical uh, to basically the well being of a community and the function of a community. And they're connected to the internet. They rely on electricity. People uh, aren't as sort of self-reliant as they have been in the past, right? We have all these nice luxuries like electric heat. I have these amazing heat pumps in my house that are super efficient. Cool me in the summer, heat me in the winter. But when I grew up, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm ancient, but like I had wood fire everything. I had to split wood and carry wood and all that fun stuff of living in, uh, you know, Vermont in a rural uh, town. So uh, it's it is different. People have different needs, um, and we just respond to those differently but like i think the overall it's really hard for emergency management to keep up with that the evolution of emergency management has largely been through the failures you know over the last few decades and trying to learn from those but it's not actually keeping up with innovation it's just like oh we really kind of messed this up let's try to learn from that and we're only doing these little iterations right <clears throat> so those are all the high watermarks that john referenced but there is still so much room for innovation. And a lot of it, I think, is just you have to do it, right? Like someone's got to have the, the guts to basically go out front and, and try it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're sort of seeing that with some of the recent FEMA leaders have been really upfront and trying new stuff out, which is exciting. Um, but it also has to start at the ground level. Uh, and that can be really hard because emergency managers are under-resourced, understaffed. And uh, again, we're under constant disaster. So, you know, where's the time to introduce the new technology? And, and so uh, it's a challenge, but um, I think it will make all of our lives easier to, to sort of start to adopt this.
the the irony that we use uh, often, I see it all the time all over emergency management, is the the quote from President Kennedy, right? The best time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining, but we all wait till there's a storm to say, oh, there's a leak, right? We all use the quote, but we all, we don't take our own advice. And so, you know, coming on to here or working, you know, on the readiness lab side, the whole idea here is to get in front of this. We can get in front of this. We have a poly crisis. While some people are responding, other people are not. We, we make this joke that we think the hurricane's going to hit the entire United States. It won't. It hits the Gulf, right? So what are the other emergency managers doing? How can they support? And, and when they're in response, the Gulf is not. And so how do you make this happen? And conversations like this about innovation um, are really where we, we want to push to very quickly to, to start s flipping the script, if you will. Right. We don't have to always start from the problem. We can start from the solution. And honing in on the, the, the technical angle just a little bit more and the innovation, Zach, uh, from a from a communication standpoint uh, and once again, framing the problems, because we're, we're going to talk about solutions here in just yeah. a minute. But relative to some of the problems that you've uh, experienced firsthand, uh, where where do where does that uh, re uh, reveal itself relative to communications? Well, it reveals itself in every after action report that I've ever read in my entire career. Before I was an emergency manager, as I was reading AARs, I was the I was a responder complaining about communications. Uh, I really strongly, uh, you know, so this is my first stopping moment. Yeah, improvement is what you're saying. Okay, there's yes. So, so let's let's break that down then. What, what you know? What, what are some you know more than just communications? Where yeah. where are some of the the specifics that we can hone in on? Sure, I'll, I'll footstop the the communications because it's from a fundamental level that is what all of us are doing in every sort of emergency response. Like right, you're trying to get people to ahead of time. You're communicating out, uh, you know, mass notifications, messaging, outreach to get people to start to pay attention to what's occurring. During it, you know, we're communicating with each other as responders and trying to uh, coordinate and make sure that we're all playing from the same sheet of music. And then post, it's all of the information that's critical to recovery, you know, uh, the health stuff, the environmental stuff, like how to get, you know, the resources that you need. So the entire cycle of emergency management is communications, communications, communications. Uh, the most fundamental aspect of that, of course, is like radios. Like that is, I think, probably the thing that like we're so I think we get a lot of us get hung up on it. We use it as a scapegoat <laughs> a lot of times in disasters um, that, you know, the radios don't work. But uh, it's it's I think in my experience, especially being a radio geek, it's one of the like few places where like we've really have evolved the technology significantly. Um, I remember when I was working for a sheriff's department uh, when I was just out of high school, I had to carry two different types of radios. I had a UHF radio and a VHF radio. And depending where I was in my uh, response area, I was on the UHF or I was on the VHF. And I had to remember which radio I had to talk on. It was like that sort of convoluted, but that's how it works. Um, and when you get into a disaster situation, like we were talking earlier, where your infrastructure is damaged or degraded, um, even just really significant storms, you're gonna have repeater sites go down, they're gonna get struck by lightning, whatever. Uh, having a, an adaptable communication system, having uh, a user be adaptable to that situation is really, really important. Um, so yeah, it's it's just, I mean, communications, right? Like that's, that is <laughs> every, like I said, every single after action, it's there. You know. 
you know, talking about like this communications thing, it makes me think like we don't even know what the word communications means anymore because <laughs> we use it so much. Yeah. I saw an episode of Jack Ryan the other day where mm-hmm. they were talking about these like uh, these death squads that would go out from these Russian death squads. And the, the guy's like, where do you find these people? And the guy says something in Russian and the American goes, oh, emergency managers. Like it, like um, like Hollywood's at least using the term emergency manager. But like, if we're if we're people think we're you know desk squads or whatever, like we need to get better at communicating and the the actual mechanisms to communicate. Like funny enough, when Zach's talking about you know burning wood in his home, I think of everything from fire signals all the way through using two two radios to now what we get is this amazing amazing capability you know, uh, where we can go through and look at communications. But when I ask somebody, what do you mean by communications? I hear interpersonal communications, like I didn't get along with this group. I met them at a disaster. You never pass along your business card at disaster. We say that, but I meet thousands of people every time at a new disaster. So I don't know where we're getting with that. But then we have the, the actual comms. Is it user error? Are you using outdated systems? Is everybody on the same thing? And so we need to get better at finding solutions, you know, we keep on saying like teasing this, like what are the solutions out there, but innovation and finding what makes sense across the board. If somebody is a tech geek like Zach and just phenomenal on the, the forefront of all this, or somebody's a little bit more novice, how do you get them all on these platforms as fast as possible so that you can again, save and sustain life faster. I think that's where we're really, really trying to, to hit home with. Yeah, John, as you as you say that, what I think and goes through my mind is really if you have someone showing up new uh, to, to the scene, the, the intuitiveness that the, specifically the, the radio comms need, needs to have, the ability to interoperate. Uh, I know one of the, the sim- simple things that we do at L3 Harris is that we pre-program the NIFOG interop channels into the into the radios. And, and I believe that there's there's likely more things that L3 Harris can do. And so I certainly appreciate this dialogue as as we we absorb and, and, and learn and, and continue to move. And uh, Zach, I, I got a, a, one more question for you. Can, can you explain a, a PACE plan? Yeah, so uh, it's, it is a essentially based in communications. Uh, it's, a, it's a vernacular from the communications. It, I think it was originally born out of the military, but the right. idea is that uh, you essentially have your primary system. This is your go-to system every day. You know, your repeaters up, uh, you're probably on a single channel, you're talking through it, you know your cell phone connection works, you know that your internet connection works, and uh, your stat, you know, this is your status quo daily ops. You have your alternate, which is now, um, you know, something. Speaking of communications. Yeah, so I think we're in the alternate plan here, John. <laughs> yeah, we're in the alternate plan. So maybe I can just take until uh, Zach comes back online. Uh, it's probably the the wood burning stove that he needs to refuel for the uh, the internet to come back on. But in terms of that pace plan, and I'm I'm gonna let Zach dive into that more when he gets in here. But from the planning process, if I can maybe uh, Todd just dive into that real sure. quick. Absolutely. That planning process specifically for communications. What Zach's gonna be talking about here. Uh, personal is, level, we had a, no, a really. Up. He's all right. Hey, hey, you're back. Oh, oh no, what happened? We lost you at alternate. Okay. Yeah, we, 
We had an alternate plan there for a second. No, it was perfect. perfect. Yeah, well, we almost said you went through the pace operations for this. All right. So uh, alternate <laughs> primary, your normal situation. Alternate, uh, you're you're maybe you got a fire in your town. Your mutual aid's coming in. You switch to a different tactical channel you normally use. Contingency. That is, uh, you're you're really operating outside of your your normal situation, but you still kind of have a plan for it. And an emergency is everything has failed. You are back to essentially the stone age of technology. What can you use to communicate? So I personally experienced this relatively recently. Uh, over Christmas, we had a, a major windstorm that came through, wiped out a ton of power infrastructure in the state, took down a lot of communications structure. I am actually fairly lucky. We don't lose power up here. We have a great uh, utility. Green Mountain Power has built this really robust system. It's windy and nasty in Vermont all the time. We get storms all year round. And uh, so power went out, not a big deal. I can deal with that. Um, and then cell phones started to get a little wonky. That was weird. You know, I haven't lost that recently or experienced that. Internet goes down. And there was a period of time for like four hours where nothing worked. I had no communications whatsoever. So. You know, I'm going through my pace plan, right? Like I am now entering into emergency mode, which is quite handy because, uh, you know, the friendly folks at L3 Harris, <laughs> you know, yeah, gave me uh, a radio to, to you know, mess around with uh, for our operations. We use it for training and stuff. And I've got amateur radio stuff in there so that I at least if I need to, I can get out there. But it's uh, it's something everyone, especially in the emergency services, has to get uh in their mindset. You know, your comm plan can't be the one channel, the one repeater, because you have to expect that's going to be impacted. And it gets more complex, especially as you start going to national level disasters, where maybe you've got multiple radio systems on different bands and you've got different capabilities. Um, you know, when we travel as a USAR team, we bring tons of multi-band radios because we don't know what you're going to end up on. And the having the night fog built in is also really handy because Right off the bat, if you pick that up, everywhere in the country should have access. Somebody within that region should have access to those channels and should be listening. If nothing else, you call, V call should be going to dispatch centers, um, and that can operate on a simplex. There's no repeaters or anything there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really uh, important, and it's important to try it out beforehand. I didn't really freak out that much during the Christmas thing because. I've been through it, right? I understand my process. So if this doesn't work, I go to the next thing and I just continue to roll over. Um, and eventually, you know, you get to the point where even if you're starting from scratch, uh, I know I'm going to drive over to the fire station. I know where the fire station is and that'll be my form of communication. So, Zach, it's interesting to hear you talk about pace and, and the, the, uh, the, the evolution of it, the progression, maybe a better word. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it directly translates to a traditional first responder communications where traditionally we would have once again the core system and under normal operation your primary operations that's the system that you use it's highly reliable it's certainly redundant and 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 then it's designed specifically to uh, take if there's a single point of failure that it can keep operating if you lose a channel you, you lose a channel but you don't yeah. you don't site but if you lose a site you don't lose the whole system and so there, there's there's graceful ways for it to uh, degrade in in the case of failure all the way to the point where you completely lose it and you're maybe uh, deploying a contingency plan whether it's a a, a deployable cell on wheels type uh, scenario all the way down to the the emergency you're 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 in talk around mode radio to radio direct mode and yep. and in that coordination uh, you know uh, you know try 
turning our, you know, as we've sort of framed out the problems and John turning to, to some of the solutions, I think you were about to, to get into it there a little bit. How can emergency managers listening today better plan for that disaster moment, that disaster communications? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, question. In fact, when Zach was talking about pace, I was thinking if you do not have a plan in place, you will panic, there will be anxiety, there will be chaos, and you will be in an emergency. It's a different kind <laughs> of pace, right? And so which pace do you want? Do you want the pace where you can follow a systematic review, or do you want to be in chaos mode? In fact, there's a really uh, great chapter in a book, and maybe we can share it later, but it talks about crisis mode versus routine mode. And uh, all emergencies start off in crisis mode. Something has happened. And you want to get to routine mode as fast as humanly possible as a response organization, as, um, as a group, and um, as society as whole, right? And so in terms of that planning process, planning process is everything. You try to identify your stakeholders. You get everything in place. You identify the communication technologies. Again, we're on an L3 Harris webinar, but we're also big, 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 big fans of L3 Harris. Zach has them. I have them. We've used them in the real world. You know, in, in, in fact, in terms of like a digression, I was at a urban search and rescue conference or uh, training where they were actually in a hole of a ton of rubble pile. And so they were using the L3 Harris radios as repeaters. They were getting information in the hole and out of the hole. And I had not seen a communications uh capability like that before especially as a novice i consider myself a novice now that i've met zach and to say oh, okay there's a lot to learn here but i was able to use them immediately and so when you're talking about the planning process getting everybody trained up getting everybody on the same systems using the knowing what channels to go to of a, a very good case study about that is the navy yard shooting you had every federal state local private security, law enforcement, all coming to this thing with uh, very scary, very real, and lots of buildings. They had to clear every building. And they were not communicating very well. That is one of the big after actions, communications, is that they literally couldn't talk to each other. Same thing with 9-11. That happened years prior, and yet fire and police couldn't communicate to each other. Didn't even have the capability to communicate to each other if they wanted to. And so when we're talking about uh, an emergency manager's role, our role is to get up in front of that for sure, but also look at the his historical events. Say, we don't want to have a communications issue again like 9-11. We don't want a communications issue again like Navy Yard. We don't want a communications issue in a hurricane, which spans hundreds of miles, lots of agencies. How do you literally relate information, especially to the person who just lost power, lost internet, lost cell phone service. Now they're trying to communicate with us with smoke signals and we don't know that they're doing that, right? And so getting everybody on that plane of thought beforehand gets them out of panic, anxiety, chaos, and emergency. The, the other form of pace there, I like that. The other form of pace, you like that? I did say that on the spot, there you go, yeah. So good side of yeah. Zach, any, anything to add from a technical perspective? What technologies have you seen out there that can emergency managers can take advantage of? Yeah, so I think uh, really trying to understand, uh, I think what, what's something that has happened relatively recently is I've noticed that a lot of people will, they'll get the grant money, they'll buy the system, and then they just sort of, that's it, right? They kind of leave it there until something happens. And then they're like, oh no, it couldn't do this. 
uh, when in reality, the you know these uh, modern communication system is extremely robust, extremely capable, um, and it's pretty easy to build in uh, to your pace plan, to your you know just general sort of con ops of how you're going to do your daily job, um, in in using radio systems for stuff. And then it's a lot of times it's just like asking, right? Like so. If you're thinking like uh, you know doing an exercise or it's a lesson learned from a from a disaster, um, you know one thing I'll I'll give a really quick story. So, you know Don Griffiths with uh, L3 Harris came to our training in Orlando, and uh, we were talking to him. It was just as the XL400 came out or was about to get the uh, NFPA rating and stuff, uh, and he's telling us about how he learned a lot of the stuff that he put into that radio was from the people using it. He actually, you know, he's like, yeah, we rode around in fire trucks. You know, we we had him bring the radios in there and we're talking to him inside the building. We're outside the building and we're going inside the building. We're trying all this stuff to like break it and figure it out. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's like we're not putting into action those after action reports. Uh, they sit on the shelf and we're not working with our partners to to see if we can fix this. Right. So let's say it's a communication failure again. What does that mean? Was it the radio that broke? Was it the repeater that broke? A lot of times it's just user error, didn't know that channel existed, never went to that part of the radio before. Um, you know, internally, talk amongst your folks, do some radio exercise. It's so easy to do a communications exercise. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Just sit around the table and then ask them, hey, what's on channel four? <laughs> and have you used it before? Took to click, uh, oh, I don't know. This is simplex. What does that mean? You know, like how come I'm not hitting the tower? All this stuff. Like, all right, cool. So we learned right now that you're not familiar with that channel. So we're going to play with it the next exercise. You know, now we're going to tack three uh, the next time we're out on a call or something just to see how it works. Um, with a multi-band radio, you have a whole bunch more capability that's built in now um, to, to use different bands to your benefit, right? Like VHF propagates really, really well long distances. So if you're working outside as a wildland firefighter or you're an emergency manager, and you know you got to reach people all over your county and you've got radio systems down, you know, consider using uh, switching to VHF. Even if you have an 800 megahertz system, great, you know, uh, you know, uh, countywide trunking system. If that goes down uh, and it all it takes is the computer controller that's sort of running it all to die. And, you know, a lot of agencies don't have backups to the backups to the backups. If that gets destroyed. Okay, well, what do I need to do as an emergency manager? I, I have a whole county I'm worried about. What do I do? And if everyone sort of has that game plan that you're going to switch over to a, a nice, nicely propagating radio frequency, then that's what you do. But um, the the biggest thing is just that get out there and try to break it uh, when it's nice out, so that when it's uh, cloudy and rainy and stormy, uh, you're not trying to figure that out. Coordinate with your partner agencies. Uh, the night fog is really nice. Just having those those built in there is handy because all the feds that show up should have access to that on theirs. Uh, and most federal teams are gonna show up with a, um, you know, a COML, uh, uh communications leader that will have all the access to every frequency and programming and everything else. Um, but that's gonna take a while. It's 72 hours is how you're supposed to sort of bank on it, right? Like those first 72 hours, it's up to you. So you need to have that plan in place for that. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can make it through those first three days, you're probably gonna be in pretty good shape because a lot of help will arise. But but winging it's not an option. Like it has to be thought out. You want to try it. Um, I'm also a big fan of just get out from behind the desk and go try stuff. Like don't sit there and do it on paper all the time and say this is my plan. Like use it for everything that you can. If you're an emergency manager in a small town, you're like no one ever calls me. 
talk to the fire chief and say, hey, what are your radio issues? I happen to be an emergency manager. This is going to be part of my responsibility. Is there any way I can help you? And then if you can't figure it out, you call up, you know, Todd and say, hey, Todd, I have this use case, right? We had this disaster. This broke. What could you do with your technology to maybe help us? Um, and, you know, who, who do we need to talk to to see if we can figure this out? Um, but putting it on a putting it on the after action and then just you know complaining about it every single disaster is not going to fix things. It's not innovative. Um, and I and I also can I can empathize. We're all very busy. It's tough to sometimes make room for that, but it's just so important. Yes, it is. Uh, it is possible. For, you know, life does just get in the way sometimes. But I, I want to recap because there was a lot of a lot of really good information there. Uh, so so what? is a new kind of hurricane responder and and, and really any any type of responder uh, there was three things i've taken some notes here as i look down um, but uh, number one that it's not enough to to just have a plan a plan is essential is what i heard but uh, but it's not enough just to have a plan uh, you, you need to practice it which is number two build that muscle uh the muscle specifically around the the, the when nothing works scenario yeah and, uh, and and getting more familiar, more comfortable in in that uh, particular situation. Then three, embracing that innovation, Re regardless of the tech uh, technology, your technical level. Maybe the most important thing you can do is just simply start. Whether it's uh, ask a question, uh, get a get a demo. Um, uh, once again, play around with with the channel banks. Uh, em embrace that innovation and ask questions. And, uh, and, get, and get educated on that. The innovation can help in all of those scenarios. And really, uh, speaking of just simply starting in a place, I want to turn to the, the readiness lab now and talk a little bit more about what's going on. A lot of great activities. John, can you fill us in on what's going on down at the ready, readiness lab? Yeah, so the readiness lab is, and, and thank you for the introduction earlier, uh, it really is the blend between education and marketing for emergency services. We, uh, in funny enough, the three bullet points that you bring out, especially leveraging innovation and planning is uh, the plan is not enough and uh, you got to train regularly. All these things is really at the forefront of the readiness lab. And so when you're talking about the largest emergency services podcast network on Apple, and when you're talking about this, this training experience that we've created for people called the next level emergency management training. People a lot of times focus on, oh, it's counterterrorism. You know, we do the CBR and stuff. We have these really amazing technologies. You know, we have L3 Harris come out every single time to actually play with us, not as a vendor on the on the sideline, but come out and actually play with us. Don was a student of our one of our classes. Who does that? L3 Harris does that. That's why we like you. Yeah, right? Rachel, Rob. We had a whole bunch of L3 people went through it. Yeah. Amazing, right? actually doing it right and so when you're looking at the readiness lab and the tenants of the readiness lab and we're talking about you know the tagline is you know it's kind of cheesy but it's real trailblazing disaster readiness you know zach and i have these experiences in our careers the other staff of i, I has had these moments as well where what we had was not good enough and it was incredibly frustrating we wanted to help and for whatever reason whatever context that they found themselves in mine came in from things like a four-year-old boy being sucked out of a home in a tornado. That was very real for me. Other, th other incidents like that. And so if you're looking at like my own personal history with the readiness lab, even before that, 15 years ago, 
looking at hazard vulnerability assessments. Well, we do these things, but are urban planners using them? Are stakeholders using them? No, why? Why not? When we do preliminary damage assessments, why are we doing drive-bys and not using drones? Why not? I started using drones in the national strike team. And so when you're, you're talking about this, Zach is the exact same way. Ashley, Sai, Jake, all these people at the readiness lab, we want to be the cutting edge. We want to see what we can, how far we can push this needle because we have all started transition from the people on the front line to supporting the people on the front line. And so how can we do that? And so when you're talking about that perspective with the readiness lab, you know, people wonder why don't we choose to have, you know, 40 boosts at a training? Well, we want to endorse the product. We actually want to be able to stand by it. So there's that. And we want to integrate, which is why we come onto the L3 Harris webinar, why we endorse you on all of our podcasts, why we bring you out to all of our trainings, because you have people like Don, who's the creator of one of your products sitting there as a student. That's real world for us. That's that's the mission for us. So that's the readiness lab. I'm always obviously hyper passionate about that, but we're on this mission to enhance life-saving, life-sustaining operations through emergency management best practice and beyond. Excellent. And we have a upcoming event, uh, Dynamic Populations, uh, coming up at the end of August. Is that right? Yes. And you're going, right? Absolutely. Gonna... <laughs> yeah. yeah I've, so... I've Don's training. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So Zach can probably talk about the, the Dynamic Populations course, what that means for us. Uh, but really, in a sense, from my perspective, crisis leadership, decision-making, and catastrophic disaster from using enhanced technologies. But he can probably go into more details what that is. Yeah, I mean, talking about innovative, talking about being a new type of uh, responder, I think one of the things that I've discovered in my career is like immersion, making things realistic and trying to leverage technology to have a better experience in your training uh, because, you know, a PowerPoint uh, doesn't maybe, you know, make the hair on your arms stick up. It doesn't get you sort of like feeling like you're in it. So the better the training, the more we learn, there's more opportunity to break stuff and figure out why didn't this work. So we essentially tried to distill all of that into a single training event that goes on for uh, three days. And it is essentially 24 seven, like you're up, you're right into the training. And then at night we hold social events, uh, you know, that are fun. But the idea is to essentially make you tired, right? Like you're you're always in it because a, a normal operating period for especially a type one disaster for the first few days is definitely going to be at least 12 hours. And it's more likely 18 plus until you can get some help and start doing your uh, your good uh, cycle. But so we want to create the operational cycle feeling so that on day three, after you've gone through the two days of training and the two days of social events, day three, you're in an exercise and it's like you're tired. And talking about like, how do you get into that mindset? The first couple hours, everyone's stressed out, right? They're freaking out. There's a lack of information and you're task saturated, which is a dangerous situation because you just start doing things because you feel like you have to do it. You're not thinking about it. This is again, where technology comes in to help you out. You start to get the, the you know control of the situation. You understand it, getting that information in, you can start to organize. And then all of a sudden you feel it in the room. All of a sudden there's a hum. It goes from people just running around sort of like chickens with their heads cut off to like coordinating. Oh my gosh. All right. Now I know what I'm doing. I know where we're trying to get to. I understand that like these are the objectives. We're saving lives here. We need to hurry up and get to that point as quick as possible. So yeah, it's really fun. Uh, I am uh, just 
like I, it's like the, everything I ever wanted to do as an emergency manager for training. Like we built it because we wanted to do this and it's, it's fun. It's educational. It's cool. Uh, and I get to make videos that scare people, which is really fun. We have a whole, it's a very interactive audio visual component to it. So I love that you the fact that you just said that with like, um, it's like always one of the training that we always wanted to do, but never got to do. Let's be real. Like whether it's innovation for radios or for training exercises, I'm tired of ha having to deal with what is, why can't we, we do with what we should have, what we should, what we should put together. Dynamic populations has groups like again, Al3 Harris, but you have military, you have the British army coming, you have Walmart coming, you have universities and hospitals and uh, county emergency managers and city emergency managers. And you, all of a sudden you have all these groups come together and you're like, oh, you can actually operate together. Like, why are you, why are you training in a silo? And so we decided to pull out all the stops. We literally have the global expert on each of the topics coming, let alone the former head of FEMA with, you know, Pete Gaynor and Joe Hernandez, USAR one and all these amazing people. And again, it, it comes down to this realization of the same three bullet points that you talked about, Todd, a plan is not enough. You got to coordinate and collaborate. You got to build habits through training, which this is. And then you have to leverage innovation, which is why we invite you to come out with us. So all those yep. things come together for an amazing, very, very intense three days. And I'm very excited for Todd, for you to be very tired after those three <laughs> days. Well, I, I, can, uh, I can see why you call it dynamic populations now, seeing the breadth of, uh, of, of attendees that are there. And certainly if you're out there and you want to attend, uh, there's information online. Uh, go to the readiness lab and uh, you'll, you'll find it. And look, uh, guys, thank you for uh, all, all the kind words about the technologies and, and how, how we partnered and supported. Certainly means a, a lot to me and L3 Harrison, particularly our engineers in, involved. And it would be remiss of me if I didn't give a shout out to our customers because a lot of our innovation, if not all of our innovation, comes from some idea that they had. Our, our job was to listen and, and take action, act on, on what we see and what we, how we can help. And so thank you for, for all of that. So with uh, the, the 10 minutes or so that we have left, I do want to give our audience a chance to ask questions. And so, Tia, I believe that you're out there. If, uh, if you've had your eye on the question inbox there, I was hoping you could kick us off with our first question. Yes, thank you guys uh, so much. We have been getting some questions um, sent in. Uh, the first question, you guys, um, had a great information. You mentioned just simply starting. What are some actionable steps that someone can take from this webinar to utilize current technologies? Yeah, do you want me to take it? Yeah, sure. go for it. Go for it. Uh, so I think a lot of times uh, it's people uh, get afraid to introduce a new technology because it can feel sort of overwhelming, even if it's something that like feels like it's you want to use it and it's approachable, it can be really challenging. So I like to take sort of an iterative approach to it. So for instance, you know, AI, this is something that we have really been leaning into. Um, it, it's something that not a lot of people understand. It's a, it's a, it's an old technology, but it's very new and shiny because of chat GPT and BARD and these other systems out there. So we wanted to learn about it. And, um, the, the way that I did it was to sort of figure out what's the easiest point of entry. Um, and it's a free account with ChatGPT. You log in, you just kind of mess with it. So 
my recommendation is always sort of to uh, find some approach like GIS, for instance, uh, you know, it can be really overwhelming. The, the licenses can be kind of expensive. The systems are kind of complex. There's open source versions of that to try it for free before you invest too much. And then, uh, especially if you're gonna be presenting it to leadership to get them to adopt it, um, you have to sort of understand not everyone is probably gonna be at your speed. So trying to find the best approach to sort of introduce them to that technology. I was a huge innovator and a huge pusher of new tech in all of the agencies that I belong to. And I have gone through the full spectrum of responses from like, what are you talking about? I don't have time to this, to this is amazing. How do we introduce this into our operations today? Um, and so like a lot of the ways that I have done that is basically played with it, tried to break it in as many ways as I could, and then asked, hey, can we just exercise this, maybe a tabletop exercise, and just see if it works? And that way there's no heavy lift, you're just kind of testing it out. So like with AI, uh, I, I think the huge advantage with AI is the fact that it's way better at organizing data than the human can be, especially in a disaster where you've got all of this stuff that you're trying to figure out. You know, for an exercise, maybe you just kind of use it to organize your thoughts and like, hey, I need a template for this type of plan and then you get it. Or, hey, I'm stuck here. I don't know where I'm supposed to start with this type of disaster. You type it in and you get some basic, you know, feedback from that. So. Um, Yes, gently tip your toe in, figure it out before you go all in, and then try to find a way to use it and, and break it and see if it'll actually work with your agency, um, and then find a way to introduce it to leadership so that they understand why you're excited about it. I think that's I think that's perfect, Zach. And once again, regardless of your technical skill level, I, I would say, you know, speaking specifically from radio technology and the comms that are available, there's so so many options that are out there just requesting a, a simple demo, uh, we can come out. Even if you're an existing customer, even if you feel like you have a, a good understanding, there's a, there's a lot of technology built into that and a, there's uh, likely going to be some level of efficiency that you're gonna gain some piece of information that you can incorporate into your day-to-day -day activity. So uh, just information is king. Yeah, necessity is also the mother of invention. So the more opportunities you you create to pr try stuff, the the more likely you'll come up with really cool ideas. I I like to think about learning the learning process, whether it's you know at St. Louis University or learning Japanese or otherwise. I I like the tiptoe approach or tip your put your foot in approach to be able to start using it. It's it is totally okay to go to an expert though and say hey. Show me everything so I know what the scope is. Yeah. And then I just want to start with one thing. Like going to Japan the first time, I lived in Japan three times. Japanese was being spoken obviously all around me at all times. I understood the scope. It is a language, it's a culture, it's a whole thing. And I was really struggling to learn the language. Like it was beyond me. And I finally asked the guy, I said, you know, this another American. He's like, man, you're so good at Japanese. And he just said, every book has a beginning. Like you just got to start somewhere. If you want to learn about disasters, you don't need to know about, you know, liquefaction versus, you know, what kind of earthquakes and all this stuff. You just say, okay, like what's an earthquake, right? And just like, or you can start reading after actions and you'll see the word communications everywhere. And then you'll know what we're talking <laughs> about. Like, but like, you just have to start, start somewhere. Don't be afraid to start. And um, if it keeps your interest even better, and if it doesn't, move on to something else or a different angle, and that's okay too. Awesome, Tia, another question? Are there, yes, are there any free certifications for the participants? 
Uh, yeah, to get introduced, um, I mean, there's a lot of online training, especially for uh, emergency management. I mean, like the continuity of operation stuff, uh, sort of understanding systems and infrastructure and how to build in these contingencies, I think is is pretty relevant to this discussion. Uh, the Emergency Management Institute uh, through FEMA has a bunch of certifications. Um, there might be uh, like there's TEKS. There's a lot of organizers that organizations that do the FEMA like ICS training. If it's stuff that's like really unique, that's when you call us. Where you're like, hey, I need training in this for this environment because uh, like the FEMA trainings are the standardized stuff. That's all from Homeland Security Presidential Directive Five and Eight. It's all driven from you know previous disasters and stuff. But it's not going to help you with future disasters because it's that's it, these are all lessons that come out of disasters versus trying to innovate. So if you're trying to innovate, contact the readiness lab. Tell us what you're trying to do, and maybe we can build a training program for you. Um, but yeah, the the certifications, the free ones, I would start out with just baseline ICS training. That's that's really the best place to start if you haven't done it. Okay, and then what is L3 Harris doing to ensure they stay ahead of the curve in critical communications? Oh, what a great question. So there's a, there's a tremendous amount of, of innovations that L3 Harris is planning for. I think the, probably the most important thing that we can do is connect with our, our users and understand the, the, the root of the problem. We actually have a, our L3 Harris International Users Group coming up uh, in just a, a month and a half, couple of months here. And and that's uh, one of my favorite moments of the year. It's arguably our most important meeting of the year where uh, we have uh, all of the L3 Harris user community and an opportunity to understand uh, their challenges, how to show them how to get the most out of their systems, their technology, and, and embrace those conversations. I think when we, when we listen, when we take that feedback in, when we put together our operational plans to go execute, uh, there's there's a there's a lot of technology that we can bring in just a, a couple of the uh, the scenarios and in integrating LTE into the traditional P25 L LMR communications, uh, offering uh, services like MCPTT, uh, offering the the uh, extreme radio uh, featured behind me here. We have the uh, the NFPA certified device, uh, uh, the world's most rugged standard and uh, on the planet, quite quite candidly, the, the world's safest radio. So there's there's a tremendous amount of opportunities, and if uh, someone uh, is interested in hearing more about those, I'd be happy to to come out and uh, share all the all the great work that we're putting together. Yeah, it was really cool. Just a quick uh, again sidebar on that uh, our last training, having Don there. I believe the NFPA certification was received while we were there. So right. he was talking about all the stuff that was happening. And then it happened and he was like, yeah, we're all like high-fiving and so excited. Uh, and again, as a former firefighter and having killed several radios in fires, uh, you know, that uh, just the innovation that went into that one product is it's going to save people's lives. Like that's that's where innovation is like so important and why, like, again, we were huge L3 fan, Harris fans. Agreed. And I think we have time for one other question. Um, I think this is a piggyback off the question you said earlier, Zach. Um, how do I get leadership buy-in to start implementing new technologies? Yeah, so again, I, I've had, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but I've had the full breadth of like the Luddite, I hate technology, please don't put anything in front of me, I'm going to print every single thing out to 
the fully uh, embracing every piece of technology. John's definitely on the fully embracing every piece of technology that I throw at him. But the biggest thing is just to sort of find uh, that common ground, right? So, you know, if you're if your boss is not technology comfortable, you have to sort of show them why it's beneficial, right? So, for instance, with a radio, why do I need like four bands of radio and LTE and Wi-Fi? That seems much more complex versus no, actually, this solves a whole bunch of problems that we have, and here's why. Um, and creating sort of those use cases. Um, again, sort of like our personal experience from the training, you know, like I've been a radio geek forever. Uh, I've used tons of different radios. Um, but when we got to sit down with Don and he was explaining these features and why they exist, it like I, I was I felt like I was being sort of like resold and I could like then pass on this information to the next person because I was like, oh, right. Like there was this moment where we you're sitting there. This is just like a perfect example. And he Don looks over at me and he goes, did you notice there's no feedback? And I'm like listening around the room and I'm like not. So like every single disaster, every single time I've used a radio, you hear this like it's this feedback yeah. loop that happens and it's an echo. It's awful. And everyone ducks down, covers their speaker mic like everyone's doing this. You can watch any emergency scene that isn't using L3 Harris and you'll see this play out in real life. But that little moment right there, I was like aha, like this is why you need this technology. Like we are basically in a situation where the radio should not work properly and it's working great. That type of experience for a for a decision maker, especially someone who's responsible for lots of different budgets and lots of different things, you have to sort of like present it in a way. What is this gonna solve for us today? Now, there's also the pitch, we wanna be the best in the whole world and we need to have the best technology. And in order to do that, you have to invest in the best technology. Um, and it's certainly another approach. It's like the carrot versus the stick. Um, and in a lot of cases, it's just sort of showing like, this isn't gonna maybe help us today, it's gonna help us tomorrow. So from our daily ops, you know, like it's a nice to have, but like when it hits the fan, this is a absolute must. We're going to be a force multiplier with this technology. Um, and I've used I've used that sort of approach for a lot of things. Um, and it gets people excited, right? Like if they get to tell their, you know, they go to their boss's convention and they're like, well, we're doing this and we're leading the, the pack on all of this technology, um, it, it's helpful. But I think the biggest thing is just to try to meet them on the common ground and then find a use case where you know it's something you've struggled with and how it just solves that. And then it's no it's a no-brainer. Of course we're going to invest in this. Like why would we not? So, just to wrap up here, we're going to have to put a bronze uh statue of both Todd and Don at our next yeah. die pop. <laughs> we're going to rub, rub the bust or whatever, rub the rub the head as they walk out as a it's a form of a, you know, they they did it right. But seriously, the reason why we give so many compliments to specific people at your company is because it just shows Todd, that that you guys that we respect you so much. We we're grateful to come on to a webinar like this one. We're we're grateful to be able to share our stories and talk about why this is so passionate to us and, and for that invite. At the same time, we want to keep inviting L3 Harris out to our stuff because we literally know your engineers. Mm -hmm. We know what you're doing. You, you yourself, you know, even though you're like, you know, big time with the the beautiful background there. Um, you know, you're still, you still know your stuff and you're willing to have webinars like this. And, um, I just can't, uh, thank Elder Harris enough for allowing us to come onto this webinar. And, uh, we, we really might bronze, uh, your face here. <laughs>
while I look forward to that. All right, guys, uh, and we will bring this webinar to a close. This has been absolutely outstanding. I, I want to thank all of the attendees that are out there. Thank you for the great questions. Thanks for spending that, that hour of time here with us. John and Zach, just tremendous insight, guys. Thank you for joining us. It me means a lot to us, all the, all the kind compliments there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Come check us out. Uh, L3Harris will be at the Dynamic Populations Training at the Readiness Lab in St. Louis, Missouri. We're looking forward to that. Um, once again, uh, until next time, my name is Todd Perdue. Uh, and, and enjoy, stay safe, and, and take action. Lean into it. Thanks, guys.